Hey everyone, you're listening to Tobin Tuesdays brought to you by the Manitoban here on 101.5 UMFM. Today is November 27th, 2018 and I'm your host, Joe Gonzalez. Our first story is about a motion that was recently passed by the Canadian Federation of Students at their annual general meeting to support the Palestinian-led BDS boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. Our second story is a statement that has been released by the University of Manitoba Indigenous Students Association in regards to what they believe are ignored calls for better engagement and support with Indigenous students. Our third story is about the sixth annual Indigenous Health Symposium that took place at the U of M Bannatyn campus on November 21st and 22nd. And finally, our last story comes from the Faculty of Architecture and their launch of the 27th edition of the Warehouse Journal. With that being said, let's get to it. The Canadian Federation of Students recently passed a motion at their annual general meeting to support the Palestinian-led BDS boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. Amsu spoke out and voted against the motion. According to the movement's official website, the BDS movement calls for nonviolent activism to, quote, end international support for Israeli violations of international law by forcing companies, institutions, and governments to change their policies, end quote. The Canadian Federation of Students is an organization representing over 500,000 students at 64 student unions across Canada, of which UMSU is a member of. Our news and managing editor, Malak Abbas, first spoke with UMSU President Jacob Sanderson in regards to UMSU's position on the CFS motion. Jacob also spoke briefly about the motion passed in 2013 by UMSU, which de-recognized a Students Against Israeli Apartheid group as a student group on campus. His position is that he would not support a similar motion to remove BDS groups from campus should it come to a vote, as long as they followed UMSU student group policies. Ariel Glickman, a third-year science student and member of the U of M's Hello Winnipeg branch, gave his take on the matter. While Kudus Abu Saleh, former reporter for the Manitoban and now currently co-vice president external for the Arab Students Association and external relations manager for the Muslim Student Association, provided his take as well. Um, I, it was pretty clear to us that we did not want to pass it at least as was, or as it was. Um, motions at like a CFS AGM tend to, especially controversial motions, tend to get amended quite a bit because um, there's, um, I don't have, I don't know the exact number, but I mean there's like over 50 member locals in the Canadian Federation of Students and when, just because one submits a motion, usually there's a broad different array of opinions and so things get amended. So we sort of wanted to be patient and see what ended up coming of the motion. It was amended, but not in a way that we found that was satisfactory um, and so we did vote against the motion. What would have been a satisfactory amendment? There's a couple issues that I see with the motion. Um, like I, I don't. My problem is not necessarily as much with the BDS movement. My problem is with um, this motion and with the idea of a student federation getting involved in this. So, it's sort of my view that the that a student union, especially the Canadian Federation of Students, which is a collection of um, over 50 student unions across Canada, should be trying to focus on issues that will unite as many students as possible. Um, and I don't think that this motion does that. I think that this motion um, is certainly divisive. Um, I think that it causes quite a bit of a backlash and it causes students to feel detached from the Federation. Um, even So if people are going to say that BDS is a good cause, people say that's going to be a bad cause. I, I understand that there's quite a lot of debate on that issue. Um, and But I, I just think that we should be focused on uniting students, not dividing students. And so. It, there, at, at no point does this motion really get less divisive. So why not abstain then? Well, I, I, I don't think that we should abstain um, on the vote. Um, I, would abs I would say that essentially like by voting against this, I, I, it's the idea that we should essentially as a student union be like abstaining from this issue. Um, but just to abstain on the vote is just to succumb to the will of the majority in the room. Um, and so I don't think that that was the, the, the right thing to do. I, I think that this was a motion that was ill-considered and divisive, and so that's why I voted against it. 
or I shouldn't say I, I should say that's why the local 103 delegation collectively voted against it. I explicitly said when I voted against the motion and when I spoke against the motion at CFS that I was not ascribing anti-Semitism to the motion and I was not ascribing anti-Semitism to any of the movers of the motion. Obviously, you have situations where our Prime Minister has come out and said that he equates BDS with anti-Semitism. Um, you've seen that reaffirmed by members of government yesterday. Um, that is not my position. My position is that there are a number of students on our campus that feel BDS is anti-Semitism. There are a number of students on our campus that feel BDS is an extremely necessary thing um, for student unions to pursue um, and for the greater world to pursue. Where I come in is that we have all of these students um, that have um, quite a stake in this and have quite strong feelings about this. And what I would like to see our student union do, what I would like to see the CFS do, is create a space where everyone feels comfortable sharing their opinion on the issue, feels comfortable that they can pursue whatever actions they want to on the issue, and not be in a space where their student union takes one clear side and makes the other side feel uncomfortable. And so that's why I didn't like the CFS motion. Well, um, first of all, um, I, would, I would push back on two things. One, not a single member of our executive team was even on campus in 2013. Um, so, like, I could not have possibly had less um, of a say in that decision. Yep. Also, in terms of Palestinian students being shut down on campus, I think would be a gross mischaracterization of our vote at the CFS NGM. There was a motion put forward that funded um, BDS groups um, with no clear maximum on how much the funding would be. There was a maximum on how much funding would be given to each group, but not a maximum on how much funding in total. Like, even in the amendment? Yeah, that was the amendment put forward. There would be a maximum of $500 per group, and at no point was there even a maximum of groups. So, first of all, I find that to be a grossly fiscally irresponsible motion. Um, but beyond that, what our stance was, it was not an issue of shutting down Palestinian students on our campus. It is not an issue of condemning the BDS movement. So, what, what our issue is, is many, I've come up with many students that don't, many Jewish students um, that feel with this motion that they are not represented by the CFS, an organization that they pay fees to and that UMSU is a member in. That's you... a great concern to me. Okay. What, I would, what I would not do is, is support a motion on UMSU's board or CFS or any other organization for that matter um, that goes out and says that, um, that a BDS group is entirely unwelcome on our campus because I don't think that's right. I think that we have to, as a student union respect a great variance of different beliefs on our campus and try and be a place where we can support those two beliefs in as neutral of a way as possible. And I don't think that the CFS motion does that. I think the CFS motion clearly picks one side and makes other, the other side feel unwelcome on campus and in campuses that they're members. I think that that's problematic. Um, but I would say the same thing um, um, about going so far as to the other side. As for a, the Students Against Israeli Apartheid student group, like I said, I was not on campus during that time. If we were to see that situation arise again, um, we have a student club policy in place of what students can and cannot do. Um, we try to police actions. We try not to police beliefs. If that student group was to reform, I don't really have an answer at this time as exactly like what we would do, and that's far more up to Vice President of Student Services and services manager and the member services committee and it is up to myself and the role of president but 
It is my belief that if a student group operates within our student club policies and isn't perpetuating actions of racism or anti-Semitism or any other thing, then they're more than welcome on our campus to have their freedom of speech and exercise it. Local 103, like our executive team, voted against this motion because we don't think that it is the place of a student federation, either ours or the CFS, to be wading into complex issues of international relations that will be divisive um, with different groups on our campus. That's the reason we voted against it. We did not say, and I do not say that PDS is anti-Semitic. Um, I would not condemn students that um, believe in BDS on our campus at all. Um, but I am troubled that the CFS would come in and introduce a motion that quite clearly alienates many students that pay their membership fees to the Canadian Federation of Students. And when students have come forward and put, put that opinion to me, I definitely am sympathetic with that. So, you know, um, the, the, sad, the saddest part of the reality is that um, as, as Jews in, in Canada or even anywhere around the world, you know, anti-Semitism has never gone away. Um, I think that's the saddest part, and so um, the, this this uh, this resurgence isn't something that surprises me. And that you know, I I like to think of myself as an optimist, and I, I like to, um, to see everything you know um, happily all the time. But but um, at the same time, you know, we need a little bit of realism, and I know that anti-Semitism um, hasn't gone away, and um, I've seen it manifested in in many different ways, and this is just one of them. So would you call uh, CFS bringing forward this movement an act of anti-Semitism? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Either, either, um, either, so you know what, there's two options. So it's either they're naive as to what BDS really calls for, um, or, or they're, they're, um, so they're, I guess it's either that, um, that the CFS is ignorant as to what BDS stands for, or that they are blatantly anti-Semitic. You know, I think it's hard to treat, um, you know, so, some, so I feel like I've been disrespected by a federation that, um, that's, that's mission is to, is to represent students. Um, so I feel like I'm not, that they're not doing their job. This motion doesn't do their job. And so, um, it's, it's hard, but you know, um, it's, it's, it's my job. I feel my duty to, to be respectful back and to put this, uh, um, to put this in a, um, sorry, I'm looking for the words here. Um, I think, I think we have to we have to be respectful in in all the in everything we do. Um, you know, it's it, name calling isn't going to solve any problems. Um, you know, I actually um, uh, I I don't know if, if this is something that that the Manitoban does or not. But if so, if if there's someone that's um, and I put this on my Facebook. I got a few messages. So if there's someone that um, would like to sit down and actually discuss this with me, you know, this is something I'm I'm passionate about. I, I'm well informed about. But at the same time, I'm always willing to learn from somebody else's opinion. And I'm willing to sit down with somebody that's willing to sit down and equally listen to me as I listen to them. Um, and to talk and have a chat over coffee or whatever. Um, and because I think... I think the biggest problem with BDS is it's divisive. This, the, am I saying that? Yeah, divisive. Um, whereas I think what we need here is dialogue. No matter where you stand on this topic, dialogue is most important, whereas BDS cuts off all dialogue. Um, so I think it'd be awesome. And I have friends who would be 
who would love to sit down with people, regardless of where they stand on this issue, and sit down and get to know each other face-to-face, because I think when you sit down with someone face-to-face, you really get to know their story, you get to know what they've been through, and that's when you really understand someone. I think, you know, BDS calls themselves a movement, um, but as a movement, they don't call for any other country in the world. Um, uh, they don't call for a boycott to any country in the world, and they essentially their their demands call for call for the destruction of a Jewish state, um, which isn't called for to any other country in the world, and that's what makes it anti-Semitic. Um, so I think you know, I think the average reader looks at. Um, so if if you have any questions, you, so you know, I, I I read a lot of OBDS, and I. Um, if you have any questions, or if you even disagree with me, I, I'm that's that's totally okay. I'd love to talk to, to you about it. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I just um, I'd love for somebody to actually sit down and talk to talk to Jewish students like me about it instead of just passing these motions um, behind my back. It's almost like stabbing me in the back, really, um, because they're they're passing these motions and I'm. Um, it's it's not something that represents the students that they claim to represent, and that's what most annoys me. Okay, so um, we strongly believe, or I strongly believe, I guess, that calling the BDS an anti-Semitic movement really shows that um, the essence of the movement is not understood, and it's not analyzed through the proper lens that it should be analyzed in. And the reason I say this is because the BDS movement itself is built on counteracting a lot of the, um, I guess, institutionalized racialism, sorry, institutionalized racism that is prevalent in Israeli politics and the ethnic privileges that um, Israeli policy and practice imposes on its citizens. And the reason I say this is because the mission statement of the BDS movement itself is three things. The first one is that. Um, it aims to basically revoke or um, work against illegal uh, Israeli settlements on Palestinian territory, as outlined by several UN resolutions. Secondly, it aims to ensure full equality for Palestinian citizens of Israel. And thirdly, it aims to um, uphold and ensure that the rights of Palestinian refugees um, are upheld and they are um, granted for returning to Palestinian territory on Israeli settlements that are illegal, and that is um, outlined in UN Resolution 194. Um, And and like I said, saying it's anti-Semitic really shows that perhaps it's not understood in the way that it should be um, because of the three goals that I mentioned. Okay, um, now BDS, just to clarify again, is not aimed at um, counteracting Israeli occupation in Palestine. It's aimed at the illegal Israeli settlement in Palestinian territory that is outlined as Palestinian territory in the um, in, in, in the very maps uh, that are um, that are global maps and that are recognized maps. Um, and there are some several like uh, I can't I don't know them at the top of my uh, tongue right yeah. now, but several UN resolutions on like the United in the 70s and whatnot when they made, um, like they decided which country gets what territory. So the role of CFS, though, is, is it's important to recognize that the BADS movement is a bottom-up movement that is moved by the people. It is a social movement 
um, that is built on the premises of moral persuasion and, and the CFS being a representative of over 500,000 students across Canada. It's really important in this time and age where we see that there is a rise of divisive politics, of right-wing nationalism, even here on campus at the University of Manitoba, that such movements by students and by social, by, by individual and private citizens is encouraged because that is what the future of political change and, and political movement will look like. And that has proven time and time again to be uh, the number one, I guess, beneficial method of, of creating change. Um, and so the CFS has a role to play in this. And the CFS's role, obviously, being an advocate for students is also, in turn, to provide education for students and to provide um, room for discussion and room for dialogue. And I think them taking the position to support the BDS movement not only allows students to be aware and educated of the movement and not only educated and aware of the legal um, Israeli settlements in Palestine and the two other things that I've mentioned, but it also motivates students to really start seeing the world differently. And, and, and one thing that, that a lot of people don't know about the BDS movement is that it is supported, and this also goes against the idea that it's anti-Semitic, is that it's supported by a huge, huge number of Jewish people. Uh, the Jewish Voices of Canada uh, supports the BDS movement. And in 2014, I believe, there was an international letter signed by 40 Jewish social activists that promoted um, and that encouraged and that spoke for the BDS movement. And in fact, the BDS movement was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize in 2017 by, um, by a Norwegian political figure. I forget what exactly party, what party he represented, but it was nominated for the Peace Prize. And it is an internationally renowned movement that has been compared to the, South, to the apartheid movement in South Africa and to several other social movements that share the same goals. Yeah, I guess one thing I'd like to uh, I'd like to add is UMSU being a representative of over twenty five thousand students that come from a wide array of nationalities and countries in the world. Similarly, to the CFS, have a responsibility and a duty to ensure that students are educated on such social things. Like I said before, primarily given their importance moving forward in this time and age, and. Uh, and, 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 and the union going against the motion sort of decreases or narrows the, the discourse. And like I said today to you earlier, the, the wider the discourse, the stronger the society is. A call for civility is, is not is, is only a sign of cultural, uh, what's the word, cultural decadence. But yeah, so the union should consider um, changing its position on it. They should um, consider how strongly they want to oppose the motion, and if and if like they should con strongly consider whether they are going against the motion um, because they're going against the BDS movement, or because they are um, unhappy with the way that CFS mandated some of the things that it mandated and made a decision without consulting its local members previously. Um, and yeah, yeah, I don't know what else.
The University of Manitoba Indigenous Students Association, or UMISA, has released a statement in regards to what they believe are ignored calls for better engagement and support with Indigenous students. The issue highlighted in their statement is about the recent National General Meeting held by the Canadian Federation of Students on November 16th to November 19th, where they allege that Local 103, or UMSU, quote, exhibited racist and ignorant behavior that caused an Indigenous delegate to reach out to the Indigenous Students Association in hopes of addressing the matter, end quote. This included a failure, quote, to show up for the Reconciliation Panel, a panel designed to aid student leaders across the country in implementing the campaign, the very same campaign that was started in the University of Manitoba Students Union Council Chambers, end quote, as well as excluding, quote, their only Indigenous delegate from sitting with their delegation, and thus again showing an utter disregard and disrespect for Indigenous students not only at the University of Manitoba, but across the country in general, end quote. The statement ends with a demand for a public apology from the current UMSU executives to the Indigenous students at the U of M for their, quote, negligent and disrespectful actions leading up to and at the National General Meeting, end quote, as well as a demand for the current UMSU president, Jacob Sanderson, to step down. Jacob Sanderson addressed the statement in an interview with the Manitoban, which you can read about in this week's issue. The delegate mentioned in the statement is Indigenous Students Commissioner from the Federation Circle of First Nation, Métis, and Inuit Students, Annie Beach. She spoke with Malak to describe allegations of what she feels have been exclusionary actions from UMSU and what ultimately led to the release of this statement. Along with Annie was Chance Papanekis, National Executive Representative of the Canadian Federation of Students Circle of First Nation, Métis and Inuit Students, along with Alana McKay, UMSU Indigenous Students Association Rep and UMISA Female Co-President. Prior to this NGM, uh, there's just like been like a few instances that UMISA has felt uh, unsupported from uh, UMSU. Uh, one of those is we're planning our uh, Prairies Rise event, the Racialized Indigenous Student Experience. A summit that uh, it's uh, a Canadian Federation students event but uh, it's students that are organizing it it's not necessarily the Federation we were just asking for support from them um, and then in addition we were asking for funding from uh, university student unions so we asked UMSU for $5,000 um, and it was Ashley and I went to go speak to the budget committee regarding that um, we answered probably like a dozen questions uh, trying to justify why they should support it and then after that meeting, we left. They made, I guess they voted on that decision that same meeting. Um, <clears throat> and then that same night, we saw on, like on Instagram the photo from the hub that had like the headdress incident uh, with the culturally appropriative costume um, in an UMSU business. Um, so I think that was just like a really intense day. And then following that, they only gave us $1,400 for the RISE uh, Summit, despite us asking for 5000 And then, uh, so I guess it just like tensions were a little high to begin with. And then when I showed up the morning of the CFS NGM uh, at like 11 a.m. and I got to the hotel, I settled in, I took a shower. Um, and I still was able to be there for the grand entry that started at 2.30 p.m. And when I went up there, I noticed that my uh, rest of my local was not present, despite the members arriving the day before uh, to Ottawa and were already settled in their hotels. So they left the space and didn't prioritize or make sure that they would uh, uh, come back for the grand entry. Um, so I think that just like kind of solidified the fact that like they weren't there um, as a part uh, to support me as a, a, a delegate with them and so I just like felt very excluded so I just like didn't feel comfortable to sit with them for the rest of the weekend and they didn't approach me. I like proceeded to like, make a Facebook status to notify UMISA members and as well general Indigenous students of the U of M that they were not present at that event and then instead of an apology I received like a Facebook message from Jacob that was basically gaslighting me saying that he saw my message or the status 
and that he was disappointed at the fact that I was upset at him and he blamed the weather, he blamed the like taxis and Ubers for being slow, all of these reasons. He said that, you know what, we had like a pre-existing relationship prior to us being a part of AMSU. It's unfortunate that like you don't want to like value that. Um, so basically was giving me all these reasons why they weren't there and then but didn't say sorry at any point in that conversation. If he just said sorry, we really wanted to be there. Like he said, he really finds the grant entry process to be like a very... Sorry, not to interrupt. So was this meeting the first time you had heard some sort of apology from Jacob? Um, no. So uh, following that, they didn't attend the reconciliation action. So following the Facebook message, they didn't attend the reconciliation action campaign either. Um, I tried to speak with them to like know, uh, bring this up with them uh, at the provincial meeting that we had with the Manitoba component at the NGM, um, and they weren't present for that either. Um, so then I decided to, during closing plenary to go up to the mic without the placard because I wasn't sitting with them, so I didn't have my local 103 card to speak at the mic, but the, the person... Why didn't you have it? Because I wasn't sitting with them, but also I noticed that the card was like down by their feet for some reason instead of on the table, so I just approached the mic without it, and then if the person were to say anything about that, I would just say I didn't have the placard because I wasn't sitting with them, sure. it was below their feet, and this is the reason why. And I went into a statement that was supported by the Circle of First Nations Métis Inuit students that were there that weekend standing behind me. Um, I basically told everybody at the closing plenary <coughs> that they did not attend the grant entry, they did not attend the reconciliation action campaign, and that they failed to be there for their Indigenous students for these reasons. So I just like I asked them for an apology um, and for other locals to also hold themselves accountable and make sure that they have Indigenous representation and to support their Indigenous students. Sorry, what day was this? Um, this was the closing plenary, so Monday, okay. Monday night. And then immediately after that, I received like a standing ovation and like hugged everyone that was standing behind me. And they immediately like went to the mic and proceeded to, uh, Jacob apologized, explained the same reasons that the weather, uh, that he wanted to be there, that they supported me as a delegate and that they wanted me there. And it just like was frustrating. I tried to have a conversation with them before at the provincial meeting and they weren't there. And they obviously like let me down for not coming to the grand entry, and I, they were aware of that because of the status that I made. That was just saying that I was disappointed that they weren't there. And then this was the first like they were like re responding to any of that. Um, I went the whole weekend walking around, and then like none of them approached me or apologized for anything. So yeah, shared that statement. And then following that, I reached out to Jacob and Owen afterwards because Owen wanted to also speak with me, but. Uh, I just like wanted to clarify with Jacob the reasoning for what I said and that I wanted to talk to them at the provincial component and that I didn't get that opportunity to. And then was going forward, just on Tuesday, was speaking with the, the Canadian Federation of Students Racialized Commissioner uh, for Manitoba, Brendan Galley, and we were talking about this possibility of maybe like, you know, going forward if we want to have this like dialogue and a conversation between Amsu and Amissa, that like maybe we should have a sit down, like a sharing circle, invite Nbuli and Jacob, because I think we would just feel more comfortable uh, having them there. And then just like kind of like expressing what everyone's been feeling, um, see if like like hear their side, hear our side, and just like have something where it's like a sharing circle where you don't argue with each other. You just like have to share what you have to share. And I was fully where, uh, planning on doing that and messaging Emily um, and Jacob about doing that. And then I think with Umisa, I think they heard about this what happened this weekend and they wanted to support me, so they put forward this letter. And then prior, so like two hours before this meeting met up with them and then I was shown this letter and initially had my name in it and I was a little nervous about that because I did want to like go forward having this like dialogue but like also agreed with the fact that like you know they I like keep giving them chance after chance and I still am like getting let down by them I'm just giving them like the benefit of the doubt I guess so asked for my name to be removed 
Uh, but then during the meeting when Jacob had the presentation of the NGM, there was that one quote, they said that AMSU, the AMSU members feel unwelcome in the Canadian Federation of Student Spaces, and that's why maybe they weren't present, and also that like uh, they're criticized for not participating, even though that's like their reasoning. Um, so I just like was really hurt by that specifically, the fact that they would try to justify that they felt unwelcome in the space, despite there being five members, and I think there was a staffer there, so there's six of them, probably total. Six um, of them not including you? Yeah, not including me. Okay. They, they were the ones that claimed they felt unwelcome in that space. Meanwhile, I was there with them as like AMSU delegate, or 103 delegate, and they like, weren't there for me. So it's like frustrating that like, if they felt excluded, why does it like, negate the fact that I was completely excluded from their group on top of that? Yeah, so I guess Jacob mentioned another few apologies during his his presentation, um, but I guess that was just like reinforce the fact that like, you know, I give them chance after chance and they still don't prioritize their indigenous students in the sense that like they felt that they, their comfort was more valuable than supporting me in that space. So then I, I wrote that up and then uh, after Alana shared her statement, I wanted to clarify that like that was me. Um, I, I felt more comfortable now addressing that, that I was that delegate that was in that statement. I think that the, the, the clear thing is is that we've tried to like take routes of diplomacy. We've tried to reach out to the AMSU. We've tried to ask for their support. We've given them months to do so, and like they haven't answered that call. And like we can't stand around any longer and allow them to like treat our Indigenous students like that because it's not only about us. It's about the Indigenous students who are coming in after us. They may not have the strength or the voice to stand up for themselves, and you need to like set something in place to protect them because it's no secret that the student union has shown like time and time again that they do not care about Indigenous students and their concerns. What does it mean to you when you say AMSU hasn't been there for UMISA or for Indigenous students? I think more so like and I won't speak for Alana but like what I've seen personally is like the Indigenous rep being ostracized by the entire council. Like we ha we've sent um, members of AMSU to meetings with Alana to affirm that they do in fact ignore her. Not only that, they like stare her down when she enters those spaces and make may they make her feel like she's unwelcome. Like other AMSU from yeah, the they, board. Yeah. A lot of executive members and like, you know, like the thing, the fact that like we had two like, how many racialized folks stand up there and say how the AMSU, you know, does not care about them? And it's been like that for a long time. I stated that the AMSU only cares for students who look like them and like having like knowing the demographic. If you know, if you didn't see that, that, that council delegation or sorry, that, that council, they were primarily white folks. And like obviously the decisions that are made are reflected in that and we're just sick of it. We can't take it anymore. <laughs> Do you want to speak to that at all? Uh, so the last four AMSU um, board meetings, I have not sat at that table. So sorry, the last four board meetings. The last four board, uh, yeah. board meetings, I have been excluded and haven't been able to sit at the board table. And why is that? You I, think? Hmm? Why is that? You think? Um, I'm honestly because we had a meeting with Jacob a long time ago with like Indigenous students, like. Like various different indigenous students on campus who represent, like, within their faculties and everything. And after that, like, Carly, Mascheron, Co. would, and like, their team would obviously stare me down when I did sit at that. And after, like, I would, like, not 
like back down or say anything but like after that they would start excluding me from anything like I would have to sit outside the board table and like SSA and all them and I would go early and I would still not be able to get a seat there like they would put their things like deliberately where I used to sit we used to be on their side so people would take up the spots like right away and I would be there at like six so would you argue that you're made to feel excluded yeah at yeah Sanders. and I'm there's only what not even a handful of BIPOC people at those meetings I am very visibly indigenous so and you know like I was also the indigenous representative and so was Noah and mm-hmm. like I won't speak for Noah but this is like reoccurring and this wasn't be this wouldn't be so much of a problem if like the UMSU hasn't continuously shown their negligence mm-hmm. towards our people like for example like during their campaign they used our students to make them seem good they asked me to run with them I said no because of the Canadian Federation of students because Jacob literally said to me you are not allowed to offer a public uh, opinion on the Canadian Federation of Students and the fact of the matter is is it is no secret that that presentation was so biased he stated it himself and what's 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 really hard to grasp my mind around is the fact that like 67% of folks who were involved in the plebiscite voted to stay with the Federation and the current executive continues to go against that democratic decision that is anti-democratic that's almost along the lines of dictatorship and that has to be called out unfortunately we're the we're the first organization to like publicly call it out but you know like we can't take it anymore because like Delhi stated these racist encounters these attacks on our people mean life or death for our people and like this like resonates and permeates into the greater society when we have like law students and doctors becoming racist doctors and lawyers that's how you get death by negligence. That's how you get Brian Sinclair, Phoenix Sinclair. And we're trying to reiterate the fact that this is just more than a student union interpersonal conflict with a federation. This is like a federate or a union that refuses to show up for black indigenous people of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll just speak to, this was my first NGM. Like I'm pretty new to these kind of spaces. So I think that's why I was initially like, you know, like wanting to give them the benefit of the doubt. Because, um, like, this is, like, maybe only, like, the first of, like, three instances in my recent experience working with them closely this year um, that, like, I felt just, like, very uh, unsupported by them. And then, yeah, like, like uh, Chan said, like, this was them prioritizing their own relationship with the Canadian Federation of Students, which, whatever that may be, they decided to not show up and support me in these spaces. They prioritized their own relationship with the CFS over supporting one of their own delegates. Also, like, add the fact, and quote me, like, hard on this one, the fact that, like, they, they preach continuously about financial mismanagement, yet they spend tens of thousands of dollars holding these plebiscites, holding these referendums, and the, the same results show every single time. So they're actually, in, like, uh, financially mismanaging money, trying to preach about financially mismanaging money and then leaving like the 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 collective democratic decision of like 67 percent of students they're totally disregarding that and if that's not unleaderly i literally don't know what is the sixth annual indigenous health symposium took place at the u of m banatine campus on november 21st and 22nd the title of this year's symposium was quote our truths our voices reclaiming the world through story, end quote.
with a theme on the importance of centering the indigenous voice in health research and the critical role that language plays in disrupting colonial narratives. The symposium featured workshop sessions, research poster and research progress presentations, as well as a Tea with Elders keynote, where a discussion was held with First Nations, Métis, and Inuit elders and facilitators. Our news reporter, David Zarangi, spoke with Jose Lavoie, director of Manitoba First Nations Center for Aboriginal Health Research and facilitator of the symposium to talk about the event. He also quickly spoke with Julianne Sanguins, research program manager with the Manitoba Métis Federation. And so the symposium is the sixth annual symposium in a row. We do that every year, usually on those dates. And um, it's, it's an opportunity to bring community members, students, uh, faculty member, community researchers together to talk about research, to talk about the innovations that we have in our workplace, sometimes talk about new health programs that uh, are being launched by indigenous organizations, and it's, it's a welcoming environment. Basically, we do have a call for, for, for abstract, um, but unless an abstract is inappropriate or not relevant, so pharmaceutical industry wanting to, you know, we don't, that's yeah. not relevant. Yeah. Or somebody from another country and it, we can't really see the connection to indigenous. Yeah. If it's relevant, we try to find a place in the agenda for everybody. So it's not a, a process of exclusion, it's a process of inclusion. And what is very important for us is that this is a safe environment where we come together once a year to tell each other about what we've been doing, to tell each other about good story, to have sometimes difficult conversation, but to have them in a safe and culturally appropriate and meaningful way. So we have difficult conversation, but we and we have sometimes disagreement, but we do this, we, we dialogue in a safe way. We want to model what cultural safety means in a university by having a forum that function in a respectful and gentle way, right? And so for our students, uh, Hello. Thank you, nice to see great you. Great questions. Yes, I appreciate it. Patricia was really great with explaining the research. And you wonder and why we let her out of the office. <laughs> <laughs> That's Thank why. Thank you very much. Bye. Uh, I lost my point of thought. What was I just saying? Um, you were talking about included oh, we want inclusivity. A, yeah, we want opportunities for students to present their, their, their research. Sometimes it's their first presentation. They're very nervous, mm. knowing that they're going to get feedback and be asked good questions, but it's not going to be destructive. It's not going to be confrontational. It's not going to be a shaming process, even if sometimes the work needs a little bit more polish, yeah. right? So it, it's meant to be a, a mentorship opportunity as well for students to develop their own communication skills in front of their community members, sometimes their parents, sometimes their their uh, relatives, because it's a very small community altogether. And so that's that's what this symposium is about. And we started on a hope and a prayer in terms of funding, and now we have secure funding to make sure that it continues on. Um, so that's basically what the symposium is about. So the elders panels, we talk, we call it Tea with Elders, and basically we have 
First Nation Métis Inuit elders and Inuit Métis and First Nation facilitators. And they will discuss whatever the thing that the elders want to bring up. So it's tea with elders, it's informal, it's meant to be usually funny. A chat and building relationship. And for indigenous health, oh, I know what I want to say, I'll I'll circle back to that. But in indigenous health, the, the role of elders is extremely important in terms of they have a wealth of experience and knowledge and wisdom that we want to learn from and that guide our research project. Mata is an elder on one of my research projects and she is part of, uh, and there's a council of elders that guide the research. So we, in indigenous health research, we don't do anything alone. We do something, we work in partnership with communities and with elders. And so they are our our guides, right? To make sure that we do things in a good way. And so it's important for them to have a strong presence here and they're very popular. I'm sure that session will be very popular. And I know what I want to say. When we talk about health, for an indigenous community, health is language, health is housing, health is water, health is employment, health is pride, it's mental health, it's the connection to the land, to the animal, it's food security, it's arts because it's through the arts that we express a sense of identity. And so the concept of health here is very broad. This is not about counting diseases. It's not at all about that. It's about health in a positive sense, and we try to promote strength-based research. So instead of talking about all the bad things that are happening, we talk about all the good things that are happening as well, right? And we may talk about incarcerations and health, incarceration as a health issue, but we also talk about the, the doula program, which is bringing birth back to communities based on traditional practices and knowledge. So it's, we try to blend all of those things and approach things when they're a hard discussion in a gentle way. And we have a counselor on site. We have a counselor on site, so because sometimes with the difficult discussions, people may feel that it's too close to their own reality. They were impacted emotionally. So we have a counselor on site to look after. If somebody needs to talk to a counselor, there's always somebody available. So that's how we kind of balance all of that. So it's a very different kind of conference than what usually happens elsewhere, and especially in universities. And I don't know whether you've noticed there's the... um, Aboriginal Youth Opportunities is here as well because we are in their territory and so we've worked to try to make them feel more comfortable, make sure that they have an opportunity to present the work that they do. I think it's important to have the Métis voice and we've been involved in that symposium since they started but we often have only just had one presentation and this time I think we have five presentations and a poster so it's growing and certainly the interest is there Uh, you know previous to work that Dr. Judy Bartlett and Pat Martins did in terms of determining a population database and that was published in 2010 you know actually enumerating who the Métis were was difficult and based on that we've been able to do more research.
and then have it to present. But it's always interesting because, you know, in addition to the quantitative information, then we present qualitative information. So later on this afternoon, I'm going to be presenting some information around a youth study that we've been doing and their involvement with elders. And how important with that adults. is, elders. Elders. And, and how important that is in, in understanding and learning from the elders what it's been like and how they learned, and then the elders learning from the youth about their, what their experience is. The 27th edition of the Faculty of Architecture's Warehouse Journal was launched last Friday at the Graffiti Gallery. It features work from both undergrad and master's students, as well as interviews with professors from the Faculty of Architecture. Our arts and culture reporter, Shauna Matthews, spoke with the editors of the Warehouse Journal, Leanna Thompson and Jeanette Alvaran. They discussed the issue, including the process surrounding the initial stages of gathering the work up to the release of the final product. They also briefly discussed the accompanying Instagram account called Warehouse Unedited, which was started by last year's editors, and the Warehouse Journal's participation in the first Prairie Art Book Fair hosted by Plugin ICA in September. Um, so basically, each year it's a feature Every yeah. day we are no better than them, no lesser. We 
work closely, so by taking away that name, we just wanted the work. Yeah, everybody has a fair chance, because yeah. it's, yeah, it's kind of hard, I feel like, when you apply and then you get the position, in our faculty, it's kind of a big deal, and we didn't want people to feel like, now we have the decision, like, whether you get in or not, yeah. and, yeah, people, so people didn't feel like we made choices, and just based on, like, who our friends were. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a popularity contest, right, so. Basically. 
And that should do it for today's episode of Tobin Tuesdays brought to you by the Manitoban here on 101.5 UMFM. Once again, the interviews you heard today were provided by Malak Abbas, David Zarangi, and Shauna Matthews. The intro and transition music was produced by Kenny Ingram. And the entire episode was produced and hosted by me, Joe Gonzalez. A reminder that all the stories you heard today can be found in this week's issue of the Manitoban, as well as online in the coming days. All episodes of Tobin Tuesdays are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can subscribe so you don't miss a future one. We are also available on our show page at UMFM. On behalf of the Manitoban, we thank you for listening, and we'll hope you join us next week. Peace.